Welcome everyone. And thank you all so much for joining us today, this afternoon for our program with our esteemed alumni panel. Today's program is Professionality Without Sacrificing Individuality, Bringing Your True Self to the Interview and Office. So I'd like to welcome our alumni today and I'll start out by just introducing each person and then letting them tell you a little bit about their background and what they're doing now. Um, so today we are joined by Albert Berry, who is a 2003 alum. He is the Deputy Chief of Violent Crimes for the United States Attorney's Office in Northern District of Illinois in Chicago. Welcome, Albert. Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure, thank you. Um, let me just start this by saying that all the opinions that I give are my own and not anybody else's or the Department of Justice's. And with that said, you'll get uh, mostly unfiltered me. Um, I'm a, an alum from Albany Law School in 2003, doesn't feel that long. I guess I'm pushing 20 years now. Um, so <laughs> I've been out for a while, but um, I like to tell everybody I've had many jobs, but they've all led me uh, to the best one that I've had, which is the United States Attorney's Office. Came out of Albany Law School, worked at the Manhattan DA's. Oh, excuse me, I worked at Clifford Chance first, uh, which is an international law firm in New York. Was there for about three years, and then I went to Manhattan DA's office uh, for five. Um, out of there, wife got a job out of fellowship and moved the whole family out to Chicago, um, where we had to start over again. Started over, went through a series of things, led me to CTA, was a torts attorney defending CTA, um, then to the Illinois Attorney General's office, uh, doing financial crimes, and finally um, to the U.S. Attorney's office after applying three times and finally getting in. Um, <laughs> I've been here for um, five and a half years now, and for the last year, I've been the deputy of the violent crime section, the U.S. Attorney's office in Northern District, Illinois which is technically Chicago, uh, because that's where most of the violent crime comes from. So uh, at this point, um, got the you know United States statute book and studying every crime that's in there to try to help uh, bring down the crime rate out here in Chicago. So that's me in a nutshell. Thanks very much, Albert. Thank you. And thank you for being here this afternoon. Thanks. Um, and next I'd like to introduce Matthew Skinner. Matthew is a 2009 alum. He is the executive director of the Richard C. Fela LGBTQ Commission at the New York State Unified Court System. Welcome, Matthew. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background? Sure. Um, thanks so much for inviting me, Mary. And it's great to see Joanne and Meg and so many old friends from Albany Law School. And um, I'm you know, delighted to be here today and, and to meet a couple new alums as well. Um, as you mentioned, I work um, for the Fela Commission at the New York State Court System. Um, when I first graduated from law school, my, I clerked for two years for Judge Eaton at the Court of International Trade in um, New York City. Um, I then practiced for two years uh, in the litigation department at Proskauer Rose. Um, I then was uh, the executive director for four years um, at the LGBT Bar Association and Foundation of Greater New York. Um, and my last four years have been been here with with the Fela Commission. So, a mix of clerking, practicing, running a nonprofit, and um, now working for a government agency. <laughs> Fantastic! Very yeah. accomplished. Thank you very much, Matthew. Thank you for being here. Janita O'Connor 
Janita graduated in 2014 from Albany Law School, and she is the Regional Compliance Officer for Ethics and Compliance in the U.S. for Twitter. Welcome, Janita. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background? Hey, everyone. Um, as you mentioned, I'm Janita. Um, I, uh, so I was in the joint degree JD MBA program at Albany Law. Um, I kind of went into that program knowing that I was not going to be um, hanging out in the courtroom. It's not, wasn't my jam. Um, and so I kind of did that program to figure out what's the best way to um, kind of move my career into like the corporate sector. That was kind of just where where I felt like I belonged. Um, and so I focused a lot of my field placement um, work and my internships around um, really getting into, into um, corporate compliance. Um, so I worked at the Joint Commission on Public Ethics. I interned there. I also interned for the State University of New York Research Foundation. Um, and then I ended up working for them after graduation. So uh, this is kind of timely um, or kind of consistent with what kind of my kind of mantra was, which was start prepping for your job after law school from the get-go. Um, and that's kind of what I did. So I interned with them for a couple years. And then when I graduated, they um, hired me. And then I stayed with them for a few years, moved up to the deputy compliance officer there, and then um, decided it was time to head back down uh, towards New York City. So um, worked as the compliance program manager for Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center for a couple of years. And um, most recently made the shift over to tech, very different from my previous um, jobs, but still in compliance and ethics. And that's where I'm at now. Amazing. Kudos to you, Janita. Incredible career so far. Thank you for being here this afternoon. And Alicia Johnson, our most recent graduate. Alicia is uh, an alumna from the class of 2020, and she is a judicial law clerk uh, for the DC Court of Appeals. Welcome, Alicia. Do you want to give us a little bit about your background? Yeah, thank you for having me. So um, I am a law clerk for the DC Court of Appeals. Um, so a majority of what I do is research and writing for the senior judges, which is six judges I work for. And it's very similar to first year lawyering when you had to write your appellate briefs. And essentially I'm the person that decides which brief is the better argument based on what the law is and based on the facts. Um, I started last August and I'm gonna end this August. After that, I'm going to clerk for a federal magistrate um, and so before I did my clerkships as well, because I graduated a semester early from law school and took the February bar, I did work for a boutique law firm in Albany, um, a boutique litigation firm, and it was great. Um, but that's all my experience thus far. I'm still a baby lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're doing great. You're getting great experience. Like, and I can't wait to see where you go. A lot of options. <laughs> All right, so I just want to um, start off with some questions here for our panelists, but I want to encourage um, any of our students, if you have questions as we are having this conversation, please feel free to unmute and ask. We're really lucky to sort of have a, a small group here today, so this conversation can be um, intimate and, and more one-on-one. -on -one. Um, you can also use the chat and you can chat me, send me something directly if you don't wanna ask your question out loud. I'm always happy to read from the chat. All right, so I think we have all heard a lot 
um, of, it, of late about showing up authentically, showing up authentically to a job interview and at our work. So I'm really curious to hear from all of you about what that means to you. Janita, I'm gonna start with you because your box just lit up on my screen. <laughs> um, what does that mean to me? So uh, I think um, it started really when I was in law school. Um, and I think, I think look, you've got folks who they know what they're gonna do. They've got the path down and they know what classes they want to take. They want. They know exactly where they want to start to enter, and they've kind of got their targets, um, and that's great. And I admire the folks that kind of had that laid out. Um, but I, I, I pretty much knew early on, like, okay, that's not my path. Um, and um, I, keeping that in mind, and the opportunities that I searched for, um, making sure that whatever I was going to spend my time on was aligned with what my long-term goals were allowed me to be, to bring, I think, my authentic self when I engaged those, you know, potential employers, because the easy part was the passion. Like, I love what I do. I really want to do this. I want to work for you. Um, and I didn't have to worry about, um, I think, feigning interest mm. just for the sake of landing the job opportunity. Um, so I think the first part for me is really just like, is this aligned with what my goals are? Is this someplace that I really want to work? And I want to spend, you know, a few hours that I've got and I'm not studying, you know, um, am I positioned to deliver my best work? Mm, so I have just really quickly, how did you figure out what your goals were in law school? What, what did you do to think about setting those goals and identifying those values for yourself? Um, so uh, I, I was lucky. I, I, I did intern. Um, for uh, Judge Teresi uh, prior to joining Albany Law. So I did I did some interning before I got to law school and I pretty quickly was like, oh, I hate this. Um, so, so I kind of already knew, okay, don't even, don't, don't play around. Don't, let's not go down this path. You know, you don't like this. Um, and uh, to be honest, my, my initial path of what I wanted to go down was um, when I had sign on to do the MBA program, my thought was I was going to go into marketing because I, I really wanted to go like the um, corporate leadership route. Um, and for me, it was a matter of just having the, I think, two really um, strong uh, educational backgrounds that would support me in that that path. Um, but, uh, you know, I, um, Part of that program, you have to intern for 300 hours to graduate. So in addition to doing law school, you still have to figure out how to, how to cram that in. And I looked for internships. Um, I was kind of doing some volunteer work during the summer and I met someone um, who ended up being the chief compliance officer for the Research Foundation who offered me um, an, an internship. I did not really know what compliance was, wasn't quite sure what he did, but um, heard about his resume. He seemed like a really smart person that I should learn from. So I decided I would just take, take the chance. Like my rule is somebody opens a door, you just run through it, right? Like somebody reaches out, you reach back. So I took the opportunity. I learned from him. And then I realized compliance was a viable career. And then I was like, okay, I like this. This, this can actually be a real job. 
let me put together a real plan. And then I showed up at the field placement office and said, help me make this a reality. So we talked about it. We looked at what internships would make sense that would align to that career. I, you know, I was realistic. I did research. I realized there weren't a lot of junior level compliance positions. So how do I get that, you know, three years experience coming out of law school? Let's, let's bulk it up with some real heavy field placements and um, make sure that you're kind of collecting all of the right skills that they're going to be asking for. So um, I think it started with me. I knew what I didn't want to knew, do. I know what my longer term, I think, aspirations were. Did I know the exact path? No, but I think I allowed myself to be open to finding the right direction to go in and then coming up with a plan once I had some sort of direction. Terrific. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, I'm going to go to Albert. Albert, uh, same question. Same question. What does it mean to you to show up authentically? So I'll, I'll, I'll go a little bit uh, away from the what Janita was talking about. For me, I remember um, I grew up in, in Brooklyn, New York as a hip hop kid. So um, I thought authentic was, hey, I have to be me all the time. Um, it's that 90s baggy clothes, Timberland boots um, and things like that. Um, but that's not that's not authentic. Um, and you can't do that in, in the world of law and litigation. Um, but um, to me, showing up authentic is keeping my personality, keeping what um, makes me me, not trying to adjust to, to someone else. Um, you know, people, a lot of different ways to skin a cat, people do things different ways. But I think when you first come out of law school, when you step into these bigger, uh, at least for me, when you step into these bigger law firms or these um, bigger prosecution places or defense places, maybe um, you try to um, become someone else um, because you see that person being successful or moving about uh, things in their way. Uh, when in reality, um, I believe what you're supposed to do is be yourself and take a little bit from everybody to make yourself the kind of litigator or lawyer um, that you want to be. Um, so that took me a while. And for me, that's, that's what showing up authentic means. I can I, I won't lose myself in my job. Look, I prosecute people for crimes and put them in prison, um, but I feel like I'm not losing myself in that. You know, you don't lose yourself in the power of it. You don't lose yourself in the um, thought that, hey, somebody's going to prison for two years and that's not enough because somebody's leaving society and their family for two years. So um, I, for, you know, when I first came out, it was more of law school. It was more, hey, I want to be like that person and trying to be that way. But then I kind of, um, adjusted and realized, look, I have to be me. Um, and I have to feel comfortable going home as me and waking up as me so I can take a little bit from everybody. So for me, that's that's showing up authentic. And I, I do that now. No one's going to um, take me out of my person. I love that. And I love that you acknowledge it takes time, right? It takes time mm -hmm. to, to ground yourself enough in your own professional identity to, to make sure that you're standing in your values. Thank you for that. Yeah. Matthew, what does it mean to you to show up authentically? So it, I guess sort of I, I want to maybe re rewind earlier in my career. The last 10 years or so, I've worked full time at LGBT organizations. So it's been less complicated to be my myself when you're working with all LGBT people all day, every day, basically, um, or most of the time. Um, but, you know, when I first got out of law school, I think it was it was more of a challenge. And I think um, a lot of like uncharted waters for me in terms of working for the judge and working at a big law firm. Um, and I guess my advice to, to current law students would be to, you know, work hard, 
uh, and it's not always uh, perfectly possible and certainly don't give up on a um, maybe a great opportunity if it's not a, a full-time LGBT organization and you're LGBT, but um, have like sort of an open mind going into another workplace where, um, you know, it may not be a majority uh, of people from your community, it probably won't be. Um, but I, I would say also have an open mind to being part of like a being sort of the uh, someone who can maybe help change the organization to become a better uh, more inclusive organization i would say some of the people um that i initially worked for could there could be sometimes be interactions that were awkward or cringy um but i think um if you give people a chance to grow and, and learn there's 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 opportunities out there to really help make institutions better for folks from your community um without sacrificing your your personal authenticity um you know i do want to jump on what albert said earlier about you you know in the legal profession it does involve some level of shedding who you are um just in terms of like what you might want to <laughs> what you might be most comfortable wearing to work um, or things like that. Um, you do, uh, there's a certain level of professionalism that involves, unfortunately, losing a piece of yourself um, in one way or another. But I think um, there, there, there are ways to also um, find, uh, find ways to maintain your genuine, your genuine self at work without, without sacrificing um, your core identity and you absolutely, um, you know, should be in workplaces where you can bring your full selves to work, um, and um, you know, it's, it's don't don't feel like you have to um, uh, to give up your your total <laughs> identity to, uh, to for, for a job. It's never quite worth that. Um, but it's also, I would say, also give um, coworkers, bosses, supervisors a chance. Um, there's a lot of people out there that are just unfortunately not as culturally aware as they as we might like everyone to be at all times. And I think um, there are there are going to be moments in your career that are that are awkward or, or uncomfortable. But give give also give people a chance to to learn and grow from you, and hopefully leave that um, you know someday leave that workplace as a place that um, has. Uh, an even better environment for people that come behind you. Thank you. Thank you, Matthew, for that very gracious and compassionate advice. Well said. Uh -huh. Alicia, and I promise you're not <laughs> going to be the last person to talk every time. I promise. Um, tell us a little bit about what, what showing up authentically means to you. Um, so for me personally, I think it just means, uh, you know, being yourself at work, but not only being yourself, but being the best version of yourself. So just trying to highlight all of your strengths and your personality and minimizing like your weaknesses um, so that you're not showcasing them in the workplace or in the interview. So for instance, I like to have, like I like to joke a lot. And when I talk to like my colleagues or something like, you know, we would joke around and we would talk about our interests. You know, we would talk about traveling, about cooking and like you, you see, you know, it's good to get to know people and to highlight the things that you like to do and find those common ground with people. I think that, you know, that you should showcase the things that you like to do maybe outside of the workplace so that you can build, um, you know, common ground with the person that you're talking to, your colleagues, your interviewer, and, you know, they'll open up to you more and, you know, it'll open some other doors for you. Terrific. 
Thank you for that. So um, you both Alicia and, and Matthew talked, touched upon this just a little bit. And um, I'd love to sort of follow up on this, on this with this question. Um, in terms of showing up authentically for an interview, right? Um, in our legal profession, which is very, I'll say conservative and traditional, right? And the professional norms have by and large been set by white hetero men, right? How can we show up authentically um, on those interviews without risking, right? Implicit bias derailing our opportunities. Um, so I would say that this is something that I'm still learning um, and that it takes time and experience because like I'm, you know, I'm a black female. So I'm always thinking that I might be judged implicitly because of that. So I'm always trying to make sure that I tone down the way I talk with my hands a lot because I'm from New York City. So I always try to tone that down and like put my hands like in front of me. Um, I talk fast. So I try to slow it down. Um, <laughs> So there's, I'm always subconsciously making sure that my body posture is right, that I'm not saying, using, you know, slang or incorrect English, mm -hmm. um, which I mean, you should be doing in an interview anyways, because it's, you're trying to be professional. But I think that I go the extra mile of just how I present myself because of those implicit biases. And I haven't really, I have to try to do it to the point where I become comfortable and it's the norm. Um, I also like to wear pops of color, but I know for interviews, you wear gray, black, or navy blue. You know, <laughs> but, is that still, yes, still? Do we all agree that that's still the norm for legal interviews? Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. So, so I, I think <laughs> leave the tan suit at home. Okay. <laughs> so I think a lot of it is just knowing your audience and trying to still show your personality through how you respond to questions um, and through the conversation, but not necessarily in, um, in other aspects. And, you know, I know that I try to smile a lot during interviews as well, because I want to make sure that I don't look angry or mean or something like that. That's on the connotation of being a black woman as well. So I think there's a lot of things for me personally that I take into account when I interviewed that you know, a white male counterpart may not do that because they're just more comfortable in their skin where I'm trying to be comfortable just to, so that I can appear comfortable. <laughs> so yeah. It's like, it's still a learning process. Thank you for that. I would also add just, um, you know, put the organizations you're, I mean, it's a simple thing, maybe before I say something else, um, put, you know, the organizations you're a part of on your on your resume and try to draw them out and questions that, that, that people, the interview interviewers ask you. Um, and that can be a way to sort of um, uh, reveal other parts of your identity that might not be um, on the surface. Um, you know, some other questions you can maybe ask about uh, if there are affinity groups at this organization and can, um, is it possible to, if, to talk to folks from those affinity groups if you're like asked for another interview, um, you know, try to get a sense of what it's really 
really like to work at, at an organization. Um, I know that's probably, I'm not sure where things stand with COVID now and virtual interviews and all of that, but um, back in the time uh, when I was a law student, I remember there was an initial interview on campus and then I got invited to the law firm for the second round of interviews and that's where I really met a lot of folks that eventually became sort of friends and supervisors and such. Um, the more information you can get about what it's really like um, to work at a place, the better, um, and getting a, a real feel for the culture there. And, um, you know, as I, I, sometimes I think we, we make this more complicated than it needs to be. I mean, in terms of you yourself sort of can get a sense when you're really having a conversation with someone um, just through through sort of social cues that are sort of implicit, like what um, what the real story is, or, or hopefully you can, um, and just try to again be as uh, as honest about who you really are in an interview, and hopefully that honesty will also be reflected back in um, in, in the the interaction you have during an interview. Thanks, Matthew. Albert. Oh, I I think I I, I kind of made that conservative um, that conservative law side a part of me, if that makes any sense. Um, so I've got um, I tell people this all the time. I wear I wear a lot of masks, right? You know, um, I've got you know <laughs> hip hop me, I've got conservative me, and everything in between, right? So each each spot I have to be somebody different sometimes, right? But I've made it a part of me. I work at the Department of Justice, I can't wear a, I can't wear a pink shirt half the time. I can't wear a black shirt, a blue shirt, but that's me. I like the colors, right? But when I'm when I'm at work, I have the, the navy suit, the white shirt, and the red tie, right? Because it's prosecution time. It's time to go close. But um, I also talk with my hands because I'm a native New Yorker, right? I've had people tell me, you know, when you're doing openings and closings, don't talk with your hands because it doesn't connect. But um, it does, right? So I've made everything everything a, a part of me to make me me. And I realized that, um, you know, when you go into interviews, and I didn't realize that early on uh, in law school, um, I come to realize it, um, but th there is that conservative side, right? And when I go in the door, um, people want to see that. So uh, that's what they'll see. And then once I'm there, I'm me. And you either like you, some places like you, some places, maybe not. Um, and that's what uh, what Matthew was saying about, um, you know, getting into getting into these places that, you know, I and surprise all these law firms are the same. The difference are the people that are inside the law firm. So you find the people that you can connect with and you say, okay, well, this is a place where I want to be. And those are the people to me that have their individuality and their personalities. And they're able to say, okay, I can be me. You know, if you if you're still doing the, the law school interviews where you're doing them on campus, uh, initially for the first breakthrough, um, it's all going to be the same. You know, everybody that's coming here is putting their best foot forward. But for me, when I went to the offices, you can see the difference. You can see the, the legal assistants. You can see the paralegals. You see people look tired. <laughs> They're walking around with their head down. They don't want to be there. They barely acknowledge you when you walk by and say hello. And that's not a place where I, me personally, I want to be. So um, you kind of you kind of figure it out. And I, I think you've got to take all of this and make it a part of you so that you can feel comfortable in any situation or any place that, you, that you're going to be set in. Because as a lawyer, you're going to be set in a lot of different situations in a lot of different places. Um, you know, I'm, I'm the only black face in tons of places. Um, but I thrive in uncomfortable. So I'm comfortable. If you're uncomfortable, 
I didn't make you uncomfortable. I didn't say anything. So you can sit in your skin uncomfortable. I'm gonna sit in my skin comfortable. Um, so I think I, I I just think you just have to make it a meld where it's all one and it's all you, and you'll be better at it. Sounds like adaptability is the skill that you're identifying. That that adaptability. Janita, anything to add? Um, I would just. You know, it's interesting, Alicia, hearing you kind of share um, some of the things that go through your mind about not talking with your hands a lot, and you talk fast, and you're from New York, and all that stuff. And I, I, I think back to um, a field placement class where we did in front of in front of the group, right? We did some mock interviews, and there was someone in the room who raised their hand, and they were like, well, "A bit of feedback for you, Janita. You talk too much with your hands. It can be distracting." Um, and my response was, well, my hands aren't, it's just not going to stop. Like I, like if I have to divert too much of my energy mm -hmm. to make myself smaller, I am wasting brain power that I could be using to de demonstrating to them why I'm the right person for this job. So, um, and it might've been a little roundabout, but kind of what I said on the onset, like for me, like it's doubling down on the passion part. Like if this is what I really want to do, it's shining through, it's coming out. It's coming out with the hands and it's also coming out with the facts and with the stats on this resume and things that I've done. Um, I, for me, it's it's that balance of, um, I probably suffer from perfectionism a lot because I'm trying to double down on, here are all the reasons why um, I deserve to be here. I should be here. And that should be your focus. You should be looking over here and not, not worrying about that I'm not exactly fitting into some special box that really has nothing to do with my skill set. Um, so for me, like that's that's something that is always on the forefront of my mind. Um, I, there is an aspect I think of, I think what Albert said about like adapting, right? There are different, there are different parts of me. I was on a step team in college, it probably contributes to why my hands are always up. Um, I, I was also on a dance crew. Um, so I have a more creative side of me. Um, and I have a family, like there, there are many things about all of us that relate to people that we're working with. So I lean into those things, right? Um, I think, um, Matthew, you may have mentioned about like adding your interest to your resume. I added those in. I noticed that the person I was interviewing with, like their son was in baseball. I was like, what? My brother loves baseball. Oh my God, we go to all the games. Like I immediately look for ways to, to relate to folks um, so that I can, I can bring me to them and and I think help I listen for a lot of interviewers, part of it is they want to see themselves and the person they're going to hire, right? They're looking for someone that's like them that they can mold in their likeness. And so some of that is just showing how how we relate um, and less about making smaller the ways in which I am different because I think those differences are what's going to bring like that's going to enhance what I'm bringing to the table. Terrific. Thank you so much for con contributing that, Janita. Um, the comments that you made about expending so much of your mental and, and, and I would say emotional energy, right? On like figuring out if you're doing this right, if you're fitting into this interview scenario um, is something that I think um, author Alicia Menendez writes about. She has a book called The Likeability Trap. And one of the examples that she gives is that um, she's also an anchor for MSNBC and she has been you know, receiving feedback on the way she presents, right, because of her career. And in one example, you know, she is told to um, 
as a woman, you know, she she needs to be more assertive, right, by one person. And then by another person, she's told that she needs to be more warm, right? So these very mm -hmm. subjective sort of opinions about how we're supposed to show up in order to be, you know, our most professional selves. Um, so I'm curious about um, whether any of you have received kind of contradictory advice on what it means to show up in this profession um, and what what was it and how did you deal with it? I think one of the most challenging things in the legal world um, is learning how to sort of work on projects collaboratively and give everyone um, you know, it is a hierarchical uh, world we work in. And I think oftentimes you, you don't get as much credit for things as you um, deserve or um, have uh, sometimes the final work product might not have your name on it, even though you wrote the whole thing. And things like that can be really frustrating and demoralizing and dehumanizing. Um, but it's, uh, I think one you've got to sort of like start at the bottom and work your way up and, and for, for better or worse in a lot of these organizations before you get your name on things or get get full credit for work you've done. Um, so I, I guess that's my one sort of um, uh, example of sometimes contradictory advice in terms of like, you know, this is a really important project, we need you to do it. Um, and you're not <laughs> going to get all the, the sort of credit for it later on that is reflective of what you put into it. And so that can be send mixed signals in your head about like what's going on here. But um, it is, um, for better or worse, a, a, how things work when you're first starting out in the legal world a lot of times. So um, try not to let that um, Get you down. Hopefully, it's it's um, helping you build skills for later on when you you'll get your name on things and you'll get the credit. And um, it, but hopefully, you know, there's ways that the the your superior will will massage this so that it's not just totally feeling uh, feeling like I've described. But it it does happen. Thank you, Matthew. Yeah, that's a really good example, particularly for I think like when you're first starting out. There's the you need to, you know, you need to step up and 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 lead and take charge of this project. And then there's always someone who wants to like swat you down. Like first of all, know your place. You know, like you you just got here. You know, and so there is that there is that that balance where you find yourself leading from behind. Um, and um, there are ways to, I think, have visibility and to partner. Um, but you definitely do have to be mindful of, you know, they're the folks that they, they've put in their time and um, there's some, there's some kind of like earning, earning your stripes before you can um, kind of run the show. Uh, and it's tough because you spent all this time fighting your way, you know, to, 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 you know, get these grades, land these internships, you get this job, you know, you've, you've, you've fought through the bar and now you're like, Ah, I have to, I have to, hmm, still progress forward, but not in a in a way that ruffles too many feathers. So it's it's a weird, you know, you're trying to charge forward without setting off alarms of others who may be feeling, um, I think, threatened by it. That's that's great. That's a great example, Janita. Thank you. 
I'll, I'll talk from the, the kind of the litigation side of it. Um, I think contradictory advice is all over the place. Um, you write a brief um, for one person, it's, you know, use the passive voice, change it to the next person. They're like, don't use the passive voice. <laughs> you, write, you write something, you know, one way, don't put and or, that's a legal term, you write it the other way. Did you mean and or did you mean or? It's like, it's, it, it drives you absolutely insane. Um, you know, uh, with the Department of Justice, they send us down, they used to, I uh, think it's come back around, they send you to South Carolina for two weeks and it's uh, how to try a case. And you go down there and your head will spin, right? Because you have people from across the country each of them have their own way of doing things and each of them are telling you all right you'll be a lot better if you do this and you walk away from that person you go to the next person they go you'll be a lot better if you do this which is opposite of what the last person told you um and, and you can get kind of lost in the, the morass of information that you're given um and i think it just takes time to be able to pick through the feedback and um going back to being your authentic self and saying well this is me and unfortunately um, when you're, um, as, as Matthew and Janita was saying, when you're lower on the totem pole, the authentic me is going to be the person above you, right? So that's that person's uh, work. So sometimes you got to, you got to take the hits of the criticism to find yourself. Um, but then, you know, you reach a point where you say, well, this is the way I'm going to do it. I remember it was a prosecutor in Manhattan, in um, Manhattan DA's office, and he won all, he won all his cases, um, but his feet were in concrete and he just stand there right the middle the middle part of the jury in front of the box and he just talked an authority figure just talked and everybody would say oh man that's you know i'm gonna find that you know because they listen so he's like a t professor type and um i think for like the first couple of minutes of one of my closings i tried to do that and I, I felt like i was stuck in sand like i have to, i have to move i have to connect i have to talk and then you realize oh that works for me and at some parts i can be authoritative right and then, you know, when you're dealing with witnesses, um, you know, some people, you have to be nice to every single witness or, and then the witness is cursing at you, yelling at you, you realize you're being walked over, they're not appearing, they're not doing this and that, and you realize I have to be more assertive. So I, I, I think the legal profession is just contradictory and it just takes a while for you to be able to find out, well, what works for me? And you realize as long as it works, nobody really cares, right? Um, it works. And it works on the legal side. Nobody's offended, or maybe somebody's a little offended, but it, it works, right? I, I, you know, you're able to do your job with everything. And then what you do then to me is you go to that person that gave you that advice. Oh, that was great. That was great advice, right? You, you said this, you said that. I worked that in here. I worked that in there. And then that's your networking. I mean, I, I think um, it took a long time for me to figure that out. Um, and sometimes you just have to go through those rock, those uh, learning pains and say, growing pains and be like, okay, um, I'm getting conscious of your advice, what do I do? But just have confidence that there, it has to all be little pieces have to make you, you as a whole, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, Alicia, anything to add before we go to our next question? No, I think that Albert actually said what I was going to say. Okay, great. So um, just to answer a question that's come up a couple of times about um, the recruiting process, uh, the first round is virtual now. So um, it, it is uh, a change that has happened over COVID and I, I don't know if it will go back to being in person, but for now, first rounds are generally uh, virtual and then second rounds are in person at the firm, just as you all remember. So 
Um, let's talk a little bit about that interviewing process and trying to make sure that uh, the firm that you're interviewing with is going to be a place where you can show up authentically at some point, right, during your career. Um, can anybody share with me questions without indicating who they were asked by, <laughs> but questions that maybe raised red flags for you during the interview process? I don't know that there were questions that were red flags. There were there were answers to my questions that presented red flags. Um, sure. Sure. Like, um, like this one should be a throwaway, right? Like I, I asked like, okay, so, you know, you guys have been here for X amount of years. Like, what is it like working here? First of all, there was a pause. The pause was way too long. Then there was a deep sigh from someone and on the panel. And I was like, um, <laughs> and I think finally what, what ended up coming out was something around like, well, you know, like around like flexibility, something that had like, it, it was very clear to me that um, there was tension and people weren't as in love with their job as I like to be with my job. Um, so that for me was a red flag. Like, I, I think, um, Albert, you may have mentioned this earlier about, you know, walking around and you see people that are super unhappy and this is not positive. Like, that's not, it's not, not the environment for me. Um, so I think for me, it's it's getting a feel as I'm asking questions and looking at their body language. And even when I walk in the building, looking at the other the other staff and seeing, you know, is it a collegiate environment or people's heads just down? I never realized I walked through and they introduced me to folks. There was a barely even, I don't think it might even looked up. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, this isn't, this is not gonna be my place. <laughs> and for context, like I listen, I get it. I'm in tech. So there's usually the yeah, you guys are all cool and free, but I, but prior to tech, I was at a cancer center, um, and before that, I was in, in higher ed research environments. Um, so across the board, um, you you get a feel for the environment, um, and don't don't discount the, the the opportunity for yourself to ask ask some questions. That's that's a chance for you to really probe and get a feel for who the who these folks are and what they're about and what their values are. Um, you'll you'll be surprised. Um, as, as veiled as the responses may be, you'll, you'll be able to glean uh, a lot more than you realize. Thank you for that, Janita. Yeah, I recently heard someone suggest that a wonderful question to ask an interviewer um, is about what they what the team does on their off time. Like, do you all socialize together, right? Just to get a feel for whether there's that camaraderie outside of work and how close the team really, really, really is. Anybody else in terms of red flags on interviews, either feelings or? Um, I'll add something. I, so um, I've interviewed, I guess, you know, a couple, a couple years ago during OCI and stuff like that. And, you know, one of the questions, it's more so the questions that I asked about what type of work do they actually give associates mm -hmm. and, and asking a junior associate, what type of work are you getting? Because we know that a lot of a working at a law firm is doc review or due diligence, but I want to know about are you getting substantive work as well? Um, because a part of interviewing is that yes, you're trying to sell yourself, but they're also trying to sell you. So, you know, if they don't have answers that I like about them actually being able to go to court to uh, actually help with emotion or something like that, then it just tells me that they're just being used 
as someone who's going over documents, but they're not getting actual substantive work of what it's like to be um, an attorney. And I think that important questions that I like to ask during um, interviews is always about mentorship and always about training yeah. and diversity initiatives. And so if they have had an interview where they weren't even really sure, like they couldn't specifically talk about their diversity programs, which to me means that that's not a focus at the firm. Um, and I think that in mentorship as well, like, what are you doing? Like, what is the training differences between a junior, mid-level, senior associate? And like, how early does that start? Um, so, you know, I think that you ask those questions and if you hear things that don't sound good to you, then you should take that as a red flag is that they're not actually, you like thinking about their associates in the long-term and maybe just for, you know, the couple of years that they may be there. That's terrific advice, Alicia. Thank you for sharing that. Matthew or it's, Albert? It's been a while since I interviewed at law firms, <laughs> um, but uh, uh, what Alicia and Janita are saying kind of takes me back a little bit. I mean, I, I'm a person that, um, I mean, I didn't, I didn't aspire to be a lawyer for, for the money or material parts of it. I don't know if that's odd or not, but um, I remember going into some of these law firms and, you know, they'd walk you into a partner's corner office and one partner was like, you know, take a look out the window, look out the window. And he's like, you know, you, you work real hard here. You know, maybe one day you could sit in the office like this. I don't want to work there, right? That's not, that's not, that's not, but maybe that's just me. That's not my personality, you know, but, you know, this was um, things like that always, always ticked me a little bit. Um, I'm not a, I'm not a person that I don't, I don't, I don't need somebody to impress me in that way. Like, um, like Alicia said, I want to know what I'm going to be doing and um, am I going to be happy here, right? I remember, um, you know, we used to talk in law school about after the interviews where you'd go by, you'd see coffee on people's desks, but nobody's sitting there, right? You see a jacket on the back of the chair, but <laughs> nobody, nobody there. Um, things like that would always be a red flag of, hey, that person <laughs> is really just trying to try to make believe that they're there. I mean, it was it was a lot of stuff. I mean, I, you know, I don't know. I think there was... Um, um, you know, a lot, a lot of different things. I talk to people as I walk by and, you know, if you see how they react to you or if they don't want to talk to you, it's kind of a hierarchy that I don't want to be a part of. Um, I'm not into the, the thing of, oh, you're a partner. So um, this associate can't just go talk to you. You know, they claim to have open door policies, but, you know, it's like, well, when was the last time you communicated with one of the higher up partners? Like, oh, they're really busy. Okay. Well, that's not an open door policy, you know? Um, so, you know, I, I think I think what, um, what Alicia and Janine was saying just now is that, that your questions are really the key. Um, I, you know, interviewers are told now, you know, ask certain questions and do certain things. But when you're when you're probing back, that's really the key part. They shouldn't just be rote questions of, you know, oh, where are some of your clients? What are some of the things you do? Like things you can find on the Internet. You want to know how the inner workings of that place is, because once you, you know, the proverbial sign on a dotted line, you're there. Um, and that's yeah. the start of your career. Um, and, you know, you don't want to be seen as the person that's hopping from job to job, because then those questions during the interview actually get harder for you. And it's harder for you to leave where you are and get to another place. I guess I'm thinking, um, and this is not something that happens um, everywhere, but I'm thinking back to like some some social like out of out of the office social situations are really tough to navigate. I think in your first couple of years of of being out of law school, and there's, um, uh, you know, I'm remembering 
when I was a summer associate, we we used to go on these these trips to um, uh, New Orleans. To, it was sort of shortly after Hurricane Katrina. We went to New Orleans for a weekend to help build homes as like a field trip as part of the summer associate experience. And this is an extreme example, but like one of the other folks in my summer class got, you know, so drunk one night that they got brought home by the police to the hotel. Um, you don't want to be the person that like does is like known as being the like get, getting brought home by the police during your your summer experience. Um, but going back to more like a red flag situation, like, um, you know, it is tough to navigate sometimes when you're like in a big, just like going to a bar with everyone at work and people are drinking and people, you know, you unfortunately see a side of people involving alcohol that isn't always pretty. Um, and, you know, you shouldn't accept like someone saying something awful to you when just because they're drinking either. But um, you, can, you can sometimes sometimes see some red flags like during, a summer internship when there is, you know, uh, when you're out at a social gathering and people act, you know, inappropriately um, uh, off campus. Um, and sometimes maybe that's a, a sign to you that this isn't going to be, you know, the real side of people isn't going to be, shows a side of people that you don't want to maybe be a part of if you've got a different opportunity or you can go in and uh, go in another direction. Maybe, uh, maybe that's a sign that you can use to, to, uh, have some knowledge of uh, what what people are really like as well. Yeah, that's a great example. And I I've heard a few of those uh, those stories too about uh, summer associates uh, gone awry. So not any of our students though. Our students don't do that. Why? Um, <laughs> you have your own life outside of here to act a fool. Why? <laughs> I'm still. It's like 13 years later, and I'm still blown away. <laughs> <laughs> by that situation we had something like that a guy did it on the intrepid boat um, <laughs> ah, was, he, was, he was having a blast and i guess it got a little well like not guess it got a little over the top and uh so those, sometimes those things i guess happened i don't know why <laughs> so um i see we only have a few more minutes here so i want to just ask one more question and then i'm going to see if either if any of our students want to ask a question um but for all of you, how did you, if you can think back to when you went through interviews as a law student, um, how did you make decisions about attire and how you would present yourself at that first round interview? I know you've all said you have to wear a, or, or, or you still hold to the traditional suit colors, so you don't have to tell me that. I don't really think you have to, I mean, I don't, I, for me, isn't it, it's pretty, it's, it doesn't seem like it's changed very much. Like I just get a gray or navy blue suit, throw on a white button up, show up. Like the, the, the standard, I think, attire for these interviews, particularly in your first year, I think is pretty consistent. I don't know that there's anything that's changed that much. I think for me, like, listen, once I, once I left um, and went out, for example, to tech, then I had a recruiter to ask, right? I had someone who, you know, their job is to kind of prep you for the next stages. So you, you ask them, um, typically there's somebody from HR who will reach out to you and coordinate things. So it's pretty easy to just to talk to that person and just ask them, you know, what's the, what's the attire for, for these things. But 
no one's going to hold it against you if you show up in a suit. I think, I think that's just like the safe bet. Um, I'd rather do that than, I don't know, a blouse and some slacks. And then I'm, I'm not, it, it's always easier to, to, for me, when I start the job also, I start up here and then I can, I can bring it back down as I start to feel around and realize, okay, it's not as, it's a little more casual than I thought, but um, my husband and I have the same rule. Like we start off the first week suited up and then, and then we bring it back down after that. <laughs> I like that suited up. She sounds like a superhero. <laughs> it's funny you say that, um, both of you, because that's kind of the, that's always been my thought process. Is like, um, is a is a scene in like um, I think it was in Daredevil where Punisher goes over to the um, this is the, the Marvel series where he goes over to the closet and you just see a line of white shirts. <laughs> you see a line like everything's just the same, right? So it's like yeah. your it's like your navy uniform or your or your um your sports uniform. Like every day, all right, go in, put on the undershirt, put on the white shirt, button it down, get the tie, tie it, the blue or black jacket, and the slacks, and shine the shoes, and just walk in the front door. So I always yeah. I totally agree. That's the way you start. And then if there's something that kind of lets you go one way or the other on on the on the meter as you're in there, go ahead. But to get in the door, just straight lace wear it um as back in the day i had to remember to take out my earring right <laughs> just <laughs> make yeah. yourself as, as as straight lace as possible and just head on in there and, and win the interview and then from that point on do what you need to i would say once you get into the environment you'll get a sense of like what um you know how much room you might have to be more of your uh to show some creativity I, in your fashion um once you're in the door but um interview is probably safer to be more on the more on the conservative side as everyone has said <laughs> i will say um one thing that i had to that i had to learn was um you know once you're in like you really need to not be like tone deaf so if if folks aren't dressing like that and you're like, no, I'm going to stick to this and I'm going to be sued every day. You also have to be mindful that that's going to come with a certain, people are going to see you having some sort of air. Um, and I had to really like read the room and figure out, okay, what's, what's, what's my version of business casual going to look like? Because I, I'm not, I don't, I don't want to alienate anyone. And it's really important for me that I, that I can collaborate with folks and get rid of any, I think, particularly for compliance, they, they hear us and they're like, oh no, like, what did I do? And so positioning myself as a, as a partner for business functions. That's not going to stop them from doing all their fun work. Um, part of that is like being engrossed in the culture. Um, so, you know, read the room. Terrific. Thank you. Alicia, anything to add? Um, I would just say that, you know, when I was a student, um, in terms of interviewing, my hair was always a thing. Like I like big curly hair but I always had my hair straight, pulled back. I, I feel like what I've seen with other people interviewing was that they, for females at least, um, always having your hair like out of your face behind you because you don't know if it could be a distraction for someone. Um, and I think that that's another like, another like implicit bias thing that we, that, you know, that comes with being like a minority or sometimes that we have to look at how our hair is and uh, for me, like I always just made sure to do that. And then once I got in, then I would like show my natural hair um, because I already got the job and they can't like, you know, <laughs> can't find me for that. Um, but yeah, just again, with the suits and everything, just making sure it's like just clean cut, tailored, um, not tight, but fitted 
um, and things like that. Terrific. Thank you for raising that point. Yeah, we could have a whole separate conversation about natural hair in the workplace. Like that's a whole, I mean, that's a whole TED talk. And like, yeah, I'll just add to part of like uh, sort of the LGBT piece of of uh, what to wear to work. Sometimes, um, you know, we're not always the most uh, feminine women or masculine men. A lot of folks in LGBT community are gender nonconforming on some level. And I also don't want to tell people that you have to totally, you know, if you're not a woman that ever wears skirts and it's like you, you don't have to wear skirts and totally like root you know um feel like you're throwing uh throwing your normal fashion uh, sort of identity away um to to, to pretend you're some kind of a, a version of your gender that you're not so i want to throw that in as well as a as a caveat to not to to look professional but also not feel like you have to like present yourself as the the type of person that you're just not in terms of your clothes Thank you so much for saying that, Matthew. I think that is so valuable and, and really important um, because I think in order to find the right fit, ultimately you do have to show up authentically and to some extent, right? Because if, if they're going to use the way that you're, if an, if an employer is going to use the way that your hair is natural or uh, the way that you are dressed um, in, a, in a way that doesn't, uh, they think, um, conform with your gender as, as an issue to not give you an offer, then perhaps is not the right space for you. So with that, I think we have two minutes. I see Mariah, Suzanne, one minute actually, uh, are on the call with us. Do either of you have a call, a question for our panelists? And it's okay if you're just listening because you're at work. I do not have a question, but I just appreciate everyone's time today and going through it definitely makes this part of the process a little bit easier hearing everyone's feedback and such. So thank you for your time and all your information that you have given. I'll chime in quickly. I am at work, but thank you so much to this panel. It's just really, really impressive to be able to sit in and, and learn from you, get a little input here. So it was really great. And uh, I also thanks for the Career Center to put this on. Thank you, Suzanne. Thank you, Mariah. And thank you to our panelists today for being with us this for, for your lunch hour. We really appreciate it and look for the podcast to be released probably in the next week or so. Um, share it widely. And thank you so much for your very valuable insight. As Suzanne said in the chat, you are superheroes. <laughs> <laughs> Have a good afternoon, everyone. Thank you. Have Bye. a good one. Take care.